Well, several years ago, Labor Day took on a whole new meaning in our family's life, because that was the day that our first child, Eden, arrived. I'll spare you the details, but needless to say, that whole thing, childbirthing, is the weirdest event that I have ever been present for, okay? Um, I felt helpless because my bride, who I love, I knew she was going to be in pain, and she was, and I couldn't do anything about it. And then, at the same time, I was just like all kinds of amazed. That was in there, and now it's here, and it's looking at me. I just didn't know what to do with all of that. And then there's this whole, like, totally overwhelmed thing where, you know, this little just brook trout, you know, just looking at you, little looking at you, and you're like, what do we, what do, we do? What do we do with this child? And that, that kind of came to a peak when it was time to leave. So we'd had a night in the hospital, and then we, we go out, and, and the nurse walks us to the car and, and makes sure that the car seat's insecure and that we're legal. She gives us a thumbs up, and then she says, okay, see ya. And it was, it was one of those, you know, moments where life kind of just slows down. And Carrie and I looked at each other, and we're just thinking, like, aren't you going to go with us? <laughs> because cause we've got no idea what we're doing. Because this, 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 this lady had been, I mean, she'd been big time. I mean, she had been giving us, like, kind of play-by-play. This is what you do. This is how you change a diaper. This is, a, like, all that kind of stuff. And now she's gone. And our child, I don't know about y'all's, but our, our child had no, like, instruction manual that came, that came with her. So we, we knew that we were, we were in for a wild ride, and it has been quite a wild ride. But over the, the next few days and weeks, it, be, it began to really sink in that God had, had given us this, this little sponge. It was just taking in everything. That We were, we were to train her. That we were going to teach her how to, to walk and to, to talk and how to potty and how to, how to read and how to write and, you know, how to how to be a good friend, and how to, how to look for a spouse. And we were going we to try to love her, and we were going to try to lead her, and that, that really began to, to sink in the stewardship that God gave us whenever he gave us children. And yes, I'll admit, I want, I want Eden and uh, our other children to, you know, I want them to, to dominate in sports. I want them to, you know, smash all the other kids in Bible trivia. I want them to get into all of the good schools. I want them to be wicked smart. I want all those things, okay? I, I, I do. I want them to be, you know, I want them to be happy in life. But when, when we read through the scriptures, we see that God is really clear that there is one thing above all things that sets really all of a child's life and really any of our lives onto the right perspective. And that one thing is what we must be sure to teach our children. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, there's some Bibles there in front of you. In the, in the pew, encourage you to follow along. We're just going to kind of be going verse by verse through uh, this passage. It's on page 151. If you're going to be using the pew Bibles, you need a little help finding there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you come to this text, let me give you real briefly kind of where we are in the story of what's happening. So Genesis, God makes everything and then destroys everything through a flood because there was sin. And then he takes this man who is an idolater named Abram and he says, In you, I'm going to make a new nation. And I'm going to bless this nation. I'm going to give them a land, a place where they'll know me. Abraham has some sons and one of those descendants ultimately is a man named Joseph who ends up in Egypt and through him God does kind of a Christ-like picture where all of the, the nation, well, the brothers had rejected Joseph and all of the nations now turn to him and, and he gives bread there in Egypt to the whole world. Then in the book of Exodus, things turn for the worse and a Pharaoh arises who did not know Joseph and begins to oppress Israel and that whole nation and and then God raised up a man named Moses to deliver them out of this oppression and the slavery through these ten plagues, takes them through the Red Sea, gives them manna from heaven and water from a rock, and brings them to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, God gives his law, where God teaches about who he is and what he wants his people to do. That's where you get the last part of the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. All of that is the law that God gave there on Mount Sinai. So you give truth, but then there's also a sacrificial system where there's animals that are to blood is going to be shed to, to appease the wrath of God until Christ ultimately comes. It's Leviticus. Then Numbers sum it up and basically like line up and we're going to go to the promised land. 
So they line up and they head right to the edge of the promised land until they get to this place called Kadesh Barnea. And there, God says, we're going in the land. And they say, well, hold on. We're going to send some spies in. They send 12 spies in. Spies come back. They're like, it's beautiful, but there's giants in the land and we ain't going to do it. And God says, you don't want my promises. And he says, we're not, we're not trusting you. He says, fine. So then God allows them to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And that entire generation, everybody under, or over 20 years of age dies. And so then you have a new nation 40 years later. And God gives them the law again. Do it. Nomos. Nomos means law. Do it. Second giving. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. It's the giving of the law to the new nation who's about to go into the promised land. So this is kind of rinse and repeat. Here we go. We're going into the promised land. And what we're going to do is we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to see this, this, this amazing section about God's picture for his people and how his name is going to resound from, from that generation to the next and to the next and to the next and throughout history. And we're going to draw from it five principles about what God calls us to do with our children. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, like I'm literally going to read the whole chapter. So here we go, verse 1. Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me, so this is Moses talking, to teach to you, that's the nation, that you may do them in the land to which you were going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a way to describe blessing. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlands between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God, who is in your midst, is a jealous God. Let the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, lest He destroy you from off the face of the earth. And you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and what is good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. And when your son asks you in a time to come, What's the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord, he showed us signs and wonders and great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all 
all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So this is part of the word that that God gave through Moses to his people before they were about to go into the promised land. And what we're going to do is draw five principles out of this that instruct us about how we are to instruct our, our children. Number one, this kind of serves as kind of an overarching thing for the whole deal, is that God gives his commands with many generations in view. God gives his commands with, with many generations in view. Now, as verse 1 told us, God gives us commands so that we'll do them. God graciously gives us his word, and he cares what we think about him and how we respond to him as individuals and as a church. But God doesn't just give his commands to us for us. He also gives them to us for the generations to come. Look at verse 2. This is the commandment from verse 1, verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. How many generations do you see in view there? There's three. You and your sons and your son's sons. Same idea in verse 3. Be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. So you, those who are coming after you, and those who came before you. All of these, con- these commands are set in the context of, of many generations. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Verse 20, when your son asks you on down, then you shall say to your son. So in this whole chapter, and really the rest of the Bible, we see that God has a plan that has many generations in, in view. And this goes all the way back to to Genesis 1 where God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to to multiply and to subdue the earth. And and God did that, not because he had some some plush real estate that he just needed to get some occupants in, but but rather God gave this command for them to be fruitful and to multiply because he wanted to fill the world with worshipers. He wanted to fill the world with, with worshipers. He wanted the entire earth filled with people who knew him and who loved him and who rejoiced in all of the amazing things that that he gave. That's what what God was doing. And to make this happen, God gave the gift of marriage and within marriage, there's the potential for husbands and wives to have children. And the Lord said that these these children are a great gift that should be received with with rejoicing. Psalm 127 likens, likens receiving children to receiving an inheritance. Which, I don't know if any of you have gotten an inheritance, it's a good deal. Like, this is it's a wonderful gift that God gives. It's a sort of a, a living treasure, as it were. And one of the reasons that children are such a treasure is that as parents, we are given the honor and the responsibility of training them up as, as little worshipers of Christ. Like, that's, that's, what, we, that's what we do with, with, with our children. Is that we're teaching them who their God is and why they're here and all of those things. Pointing them to Him, calling them to believe. And certainly, we, we can't save our children. That's, that's, that's impossible to do. So, so any of you who are maybe new parents or have been struggling in parenthood or thinking about, well, whenever I am a parent, I've got this like system and this is how it's going to work and we'll get them converted, you know, or whatever you're thinking. Like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. There's no like recipe that you put it in and pop out comes a perfect kid. But rather, we, we are to lovingly and faithfully and graciously and humbly and patiently point them to the truth with the hope that they might believe and that one day they in turn will pass it on to, to their children and the generations that will come after. Now, I realize that this kind of message for some of you can be really painful. Some of you I know who are not married, who desire nothing more than to be married. You, 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 you thought that at this, this stage in your life, that this would, this would be you, and you'd have a couple kids, and you'd be wrangling here during this service, and this is, this is kind of what you always envisioned, and that's, that's not, what, not what God has done. And some of you who are married and, 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 and know the, the difficult way of, of, of God not opening your womb yet, Messages like this can be very, can be very difficult. And 
I just want you to know that you are prayed for and that you are loved and that you do not need to walk this alone. So I encourage you to invite others in and be honest about how hard it is and pray. And I mean, it's, it's regular at our house for, for Carrie and I to be sitting there with a sister or brother who really desires to be married and there's tears that are, that are shed and there's prayers that are prayed and we ask God to move and like that's, we, we weep with one another. So in the midst of this, don't, don't do this alone if this is you. Keep trusting in the Lord. But I want to encourage you to not tune out because as parents, like we, we, need, we need you guys as well. It's, it's, Carrie and I are richly blessed by a lot of people who don't have children who come in. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, they babysit so we can go out and do this and that. But I'm like, they're talking, like they're kind of, they're part of our lives. Like they're there with us. They, they do this together. That is a great joy. And I encourage those of you who, who are, have families, invite those in who, who maybe aren't married yet or who, who don't have children yet. Make a, this is part of, we do this together. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we need to point out that valuing children flies very much in the face of what our culture teaches today. Our culture increasingly views getting married and having children and raising children not really as the great blessing that the scriptures talk about, but rather it's, it's really, if we're honest, a, a bit of a, a burden or an obstacle to things like freedom or, or furthering our career or whatever it may be. And I would suspect that some of us need to examine our hearts on this issue. Need to, need to look at, at why do we do what we do. Now, there, there may be good, good reasons to knowingly resist getting married if, if you had the options, or knowingly resist having children. There, there may be good reasons for that. Or it may be sin. There needs to be some serious heart examination on this. There's not always cut and dry, but um, I, I know one particular couple who were, who were putting off having children for, for quite a number of years, and they said that after a season of prayer, that they were, they were convinced that they were telling God no in an area of their life that they had just never thought about. I mean, all of their friends were just kind of like, this was kind of the plan. You get married, you have five or six years, you know, you go to Bora Bora or, you know, ski and whatever you do, and like you do all that kind of stuff and you, you work hard and you make up a bunch of money and that's like wisdom is to, to get life in order and then, you know, enjoy life together and then, then yeah, if, if you can have some kids, that's great, one or two, you know. But they said that as they began to pray that they, they, they sensed that the Lord was, was showing them that if, if he isn't Lord over all, including them having children, they said, then how can we claim that he is Lord at all? If they were saying, no, God, you can't be sovereign over this area of our life. That was some serious soul searching for them, and they, they have two, two children now by God's grace. But wherever you are in this, I just want to encourage you to really go before the Lord with hands that are open like this and say, God, really, what do you want? And do that in the context of community with other brothers and sisters. And not everybody who's saying what you want, or not everybody who's saying what you don't want to hear, but, but a, a good evaluation. We need to think about these kinds of things together. So I, I want you to know that here at Delray Baptist Church, like we are going to encourage marriage, and we are going to encourage having children if the Lord gives them. And, and, you know, whether we have our own children or whether we... You know, we're helping to raise children here or whether we adopt children or whatever it may be. That's, that's the posture of our heart because we think that children and marriage is a good thing. So we pray to that end. So that's, that's kind of the overarching principle for the whole deal is that God has many generations in view and that children are a good thing from the Lord. The second principle that we need to see here is that, that God commands parents to teach their children who he is and what he wants from them. God commands parents to teach their children who he is and what he wants from them. Look again at verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These verses are what's called in Hebrew the Shema. They were the, kind of the foundational verses for every Jewish household. So before you're saying shalom, you're saying the Shema. Like this, is, this is it. This is your, your worldview. And Jesus himself quoted this text when the Pharisees asked him, what is the great commandment? 
This was part of what Jesus said back to them. And and the reason is because it is so foundational for us to understand who God is and what he wants from us. So, as parents, we must remember that raising our kids is ultimately not about whether they can, you know, jack a t-ball out of the park or whether they can, you know, make a bunch of friends or whether they can, you know, win the spelling bee or ace all their tests or learn to give back to the community. All of those things are good things. But if they are not held together in the context of the ultimate thing, we ultimately are, are dropping the ball of what God calls us to do. So, let's think first about who is this God. So he commands uh, parents to teach their children who he is. Well, who is this God? Well, we notice from our text that God is the one true God. The Bible's really clear on this. So if you're, if you're new to Christianity, just it's really clear. There's, there's one God. There's not a whole bunch of gods. There's not many forms of one God with all these paths that lead. There's, like, there's one God. One supreme, sufficient, ever-faithful God. The word for God, G-O-D, there in the text uh, is one that's often used in the Hebrew to describe God as the one who creates everything and who, who sustains everything. It's the word Elohim. And then the word for, for Lord is used to des- describe Him as the one who, who makes covenants and who keeps covenants with His people. And, and those kind of ideas, those foundational ideas, are what we, as parents, are to teach our children. That there's a God who made everything and sustains everything and that he's faithful to his people. Like that's foundational about, about what, what our kids need to know, what we need to know. I remember when I was really young, my dad took me outside. I couldn't have been like, I don't know, sixth grade, maybe something like that. Fifth grade, sixth grade. He took me outside and uh, it was a really uh, dark night. and We lived out in West Virginia in the mountains. Um, and so you... There was, the stars were everywhere. It was pretty cool. And he, he, he took me out there, and we were just kind of talking, and he said, son, I want you to look up. And I looked up, and I saw these stars. He said, do you see all of those? He goes, I want you to know. I had to have been a lot younger than this. And he goes, I want you to know that there is a God who made all of those. And, and that same God who made those is the God who made you. And you've got to know, you're going to meet a bunch of people who try to explain away the idea of a God, but you have to know that he is there. And the same one who made those made you, and he is, he is watching you. And that has stuck with me. I still remember the cold night and that time there with my father. He used that in my life. And we are to, to teach our children the same kinds of things, that there is a God who gives life He's the one who makes our our hearts beat. He's the one who makes our our bodies heal whenever they get hurt. He's the one who, who amazingly, he didn't have to, but he he made colors, even pastel colors. He made colors. He made smells, and he made sounds, and he made textures. And, like, he's not boring God, but he's amazing God. I think it was Sherlock Holmes who said that we have much to hope in because there's a God who makes flowers. Like, there's no reason for them except to, like, get you a date or, like, just look at and enjoy. Like, they're just, they're just there. Like, we have that kind of God. We should help our kids to, to marvel in that. Teach them that, listen, God gives us food to eat and water to drink. And that's why we pause and pray before we eat. Is because we, we recognize that it didn't just come out of nowhere. But, like, God gave it to us. When we go to sleep, that God teaches us that we're not Him. That we, we are humble. And, like, a third of our lives, we're laying flat, doing nothing. And God rules the world, and that's okay. Like We point out this design to him. But as we do this, we need to remember that this is not a light command from the Lord. Look at verse 14 and 15. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. Verse 15, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you off the face of the earth. We should delight in God, and we should love, the God, love God, but all the way through here, that is held in juxtaposition of, of, of fearing Him, that there's this reverence, very similar to when you go to the, the ocean, that there, you're invited to come and to enjoy, and you love the waves, and you love the sand, and you can make you a little sand castle or whatever you want to do, but you're really aware that that thing is deep, 
And that current is strong. And there's got to be a reverence and a respect. So you enjoy and you fear all at the same time. And that's the, that's the picture that we paint for our children about the way that we, we, cons- we consider who this God is. That he's a, he's a God who is jealous. Like, God is God. He's not running for God. There's no, like, recounts, no votes, none of that. Like, he's it. He owns it all. And it's our job to teach our children how we live in his world. It's the number one thing that we have to do. And tied to that is what he requires of us. So God requires our complete devotion. As we notice there in that text, he says he wants all of us, all of our heart and soul and might, that we are to to love him. What, What God wants from us is our love. What does, that, what does that mean that we love God? Do we just like, you know, just feel like I love him? Like, what is that? Well, John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So at the heart of it, to, to love God isn't just to know a bunch about God, isn't, isn't just to be able to list all the Bible books and maybe list them backwards and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, that's not ultimately what it means to love God. What it means to love God is rooted in obedience. And not just this hard obedience, you're like, all right, God, whatever you say. But like, it's, it's faith-filled obedience, where we say, God, we know that your ways are good, and that we are flawed, and I need you to show. So every step of obedience is an act of faith, where we trust God. And we teach our children that, that to love him means we trust him, and we follow his ways, that he made this place, and he knows how it works. And we want to inspire faith in our children not just kind of like do the right thing, but, but, but trust God and walk in what he says. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I read this, that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, I'm like, man, that makes a great, great t-shirt if you're into t-shirts, which I'm not really, but um, like coffee cup or whatever it is. Like, that's a great verse to remember. That is completely devastating to somebody who tries to keep it. Like, have you tried to love God with all of, all of that you are? Like, from the time that you woke up to the time that you made it to the bathroom? I mean, like, have you tried to do that? It is, we, we don't. If we are honest, we don't love God as he commands us to. And because God is a holy and good God, he will judge rebels. He, he, he will judge us. That's why this law that he gives, what the law shows us, is that we are in trouble. God is great, we ain't, and we need help. Like, that's, that's what the law does. It shows us our sin, that we don't love God as he's, he's worthy. But, that's the good news of the gospel, is that God sent his son Jesus, who did live a perfect life, who fulfilled the law, the text says, did everything that God commanded all times, living for his glory as a perfect human, and then dying on the cross to take the judgment that we deserved. That he, he took all of our rebellions and then he rose from the dead and then for any who will turn from their sin and trust in, that, in him, he then gives them his righteousness. That we are now clothed in, in, in Christ's righteousness, the one who did do these things. And that's what we're to teach our children. That, that they were to love him with all we are, but we don't, but that's why Christ came and point them to him all the time. And so that's, this is a really good place to point out that we do not just parent for results. So what I mean by that is that it is really easy in the midst of chaos when the microwave's going beep, 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 and the, you know, Barney is over here on the, I hate Barney, whatever's on the TV, and like there's kids screaming and there's this and that, and then you've got a friend who comes over. It's real easy to just say to your, your kiddo, do what I say, when I say it, especially when somebody's watching, I need you to act right. Like it is easy to resort to that and to just get them in line. The problem is that when we do that, and we focus simply on correcting behavior, we miss out on our children's hearts. And God says, I want their hearts. And if we're honest, that kind of parenting, which anybody who's ever been a parent has done that, has resorted to that, that kind of parenting, it it shows that ultimately it's it's about us. That we want to be in control, and we want others to think that we're in control, and and we just want them to stop annoying us. We just want them to act right. But that is not the posture that will lead our children's hearts 
to love God. If we simply call them to be good and do good without shepherding them, shepherding their heart to the throne of God's grace, we will ultimately discourage them or train up little Pharisees who just learn how to keep rules and put on masks and live double lives. We don't want that. So we must call them to obedience, but as we do, we keep our attention on their heart. We talk to them about why we want to share. We share because everything ultimately is God's, and He gives it to us to bless others. We, we teach them about why we say please and we say thank you, and yes ma'am and no ma'am. We have manners towards other people. The reason is because other people are made in God's image, and we show respect and we show honor to them by the way that we respond to them. We talk to them about why, you know, why we look for opportunities to, to serve because you know, we bless our neighbor or we help somebody who just had a baby or whatever it may be because the reason we're doing this, honey, is because Jesus served us. He served us by coming and dying for our sins. And, and when you read stories from the Bible, train, train yourself and train your children to look at the heart behind what's going on. So why did David go out? Is it because David was like, you know, wicked awesome shepherd guy? It's like he was the man. He'd been in the gym. He'd been working out. You know, he'd been doing, you know, all that kind of stuff. Is that why? No. Why did David go out? Because he trusted that God would fight on his behalf. He knew that God was great. Not that he was great. His God had delivered him before, and his God would deliver him again. He trusted in God. Or, um, like Jonah. So this week, talking to Eden about Jonah. She loves Jonah. Uh, Tell me the story about Jonah. And I asked her, I said, do you know why Jonah went away from Nineveh? And she's like, she didn't want, he didn't want to go there. I was like, yeah, but, but do you know why? No. I explained that he didn't want them to receive mercy. And she goes, why not? He got mercy. Why wouldn't? And I was like, that's the point of the book. Yeah. But you want to, you want to help see the heart behind it. So don't just, don't just go through the motions, but get after the heart. Our supreme purpose as parents is to teach our children who God is and what he wants from them. Number three, God commands parents to daily and diligently teach our children about him. God commands parents to daily and diligently teach our children about him. Look again at verse seven. You shall teach them, meaning the commandments, diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So mark the house. This is God's house. Mark mark it with scripture and like dedicate This is God's house. But but as we do this, realize that God's God's plan is, is more than just that. It's Discipleship in the home is, is, a, is very holistic. It's very holistic. He calls for us to, to naturally and diligently and personally and repeatedly point our children to God and his commands. Let me give you two more observations here about this. So the, the first is that parents are to disciple their children. So this is, again, under number three, that God commands parents to daily and diligently teach our children about him. Observation one is that Parents are to disciple their children. Notice again verse 7. The Sunday school teacher shall teach them diligently to your children. The youth group pastor shall teach them diligently to your children. Pastor G shall teach them diligently. No. What does it say? It says you. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What that means is that when you sign up as a parent... Your primary responsibility is to teach your children about God. Like it's not an elective in parenting. It's 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 required course. And notice the focus that God calls for. Teach God's truths diligently to your children. The picture is, is like that God gives your child's heart into your hands and that your job is to to etch upon it truths about who God is and 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 what he wants from them at all times that you're diligently doing this. It's not some kind of just passive thing that if it works out, you kind of hear, but like, this is what you do. Your, their hearts are always in, in your hands. We teach them what God's word says about life and about death and about money and about sex and about work and f- friendships and authority. Discipleship is our duty as parents. 
and it is our greatest joy. So that means that what our children learn here on Sundays is good. Uh, the team that helps with the kiddos, uh, Jason Kaiser and that team who's doing all of that, listen, it is, it is good stuff. My kids benefit greatly from it. But those lessons must serve as a supplement to what's being taught in the home, not a substitute. It must be a supplement, not a substitute. God has commissioned us as disciplers, which means that we intentionally instruct and intentionally interpret for our children. So we intentionally instruct our children about how to pray, about how to read God's word, and about why we pray and why we read his word, about the gospel, and about why we go to church, and about evangelism. And we intentionally interpret for them what they see on TV or on the internet or in video games or music or movies, that we as parents have the full-time responsibility to evaluate what is coming into our children's eyes and ears and hearts and minds. Like, that is your job as a parent. That's, that's your number one job. Everything else can fall apart, but that, that can't. We cannot be passive in this, but we must actively teach them discernment. So if they want to watch a movie, if you don't know what the movie is, you've got to do a little bit of research and see what's in it. You have to do that. Same with video games. Same with what their music. Like, kid has an iPod. Like, yo, you need to know what the songs are on there. Don't just let them put the bud in the air and go with it. Like, no, you need to. It's your job to guard their hearts. Secondly, under this, is that discipleship is intended to be a way of life. So as Christian parents, we must be mindful that we are always teaching our children. The text says of God's commands that we are to talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So that means that discipleship is an all-day, everyday process that is both formal and informal. So, so, so if you're a parent um, who, who, who both of you are working, what that means is that you need to be really mindful about who it is that is watching over your kids when you don't have them. Same thing with like babysitters or what it is. Like you need to screen what's happening there. What's happening in the hours that somebody else has my kiddo? I need to know what's going into their minds, what's into their hearts. Like so that that's part of that. And then for those who are at, at home, all you know, throughout the day and working full time there, that means that you're you're kind of always on the clock. But this happens both formally and informally. So formally. I would encourage every family to have some type of formal thing that you do. So I'll just tell you what our family does. I can give you books and resources that tell all kinds of other stuff. But So we, we have what's called family devotions. Uh, some families do that in the mornings. Some families do that in the, in the evenings. Ours is in the evening, right before bed, uh, which is sometimes wise and sometimes not. But um, what we do is we, we read a little Bible passage. We talk about the gospel. We sing a song, however brutally. And then we... Uh, then we pray, and we ask them to tell us about something that they'd like to pray for, or somebody they'd like to pray for, and they're like, I want to pray for a unicorn. No, we're not praying for a unicorn. Let's pray for something else. Let's pray for, uh, let's pray for somebody, like somebody you love, somebody who needs some help. Who can we pray for? And like, kind of try and direct that so you don't smart off to them like I just did. Um, but you want to you direct their hearts and teach them. So you have this time that's a formal time of, of, of being in God's, God's word together. Uh, and I encourage you also, families, if you have that, and it's like, let's say it's in the evening, invite other people over to kind of sit in on that. So um, I know a number of you have seen that at our house. I know Daniel was over, uh, Jamibawan was over at the house uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was there. And after dinner, it was like about time for bed, and we were like, hey, we're about to do our Devo time. You want to hang out and listen? So we went through this, did the story of the, the Good Samaritan, talked about the gospel, and then singing. And it was rough that night. It was bad. And, you know, but he got to watch the whole thing. He got to see the kids squirming and missing, not wanting to pray and running around in prayer, and you have to you know, like cast out demons and all this kind of stuff. You're like trying to like make stuff work. Like, but it's good for, it's good to see that like, oh, so it's not just like, you know, everybody's just like normal and like, yes, Lord, we love you. But like this is chaos. But that's life. And it's good for us to show one another what that looks like together. So invite other people in to see that. Another formal thing that we do is we have like a monthly theme in our house. And it usually it centers around a verse. So this month's is Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or complaining. 
we may do this for the rest of the year, I don't know. <laughs> but, but it's like we, we have a little chalkboard and Carrie writes on there the theme for the month and we remind it. So every morning we ask, hey, what's the theme this month? And uh, Haddon's kind of stuck on one from about six months ago, but that's fine. He's remembering something. Um, and Eden will be like, oh, you know, we do everything without grumbling or complaining. And, um, and then we talk about what does that look like today? And if there's little instances throughout the day that we see something, then we say, hey, remember our theme? What does that mean? How does that affect us? And it's pretty cool when you start to see it like kind of, kind of take root. So, for instance, a couple, couple months ago, the theme was love one another. And Haddon was in the garage, and he has this little, you know, grill and set that he's working with and Phoebe comes over that's our youngest one she waddles over and she like grabs it and wants to do something and he's like no Phoebe no no and then he, uh, Carrie says uh Hedden, do you want her to go away do you not want to share he goes away or whatever something like that get out of here and uh so Carrie's like great Phoebe Hedden doesn't want you to play with him right now go ahead and uh and then Phoebe walked away and Carrie said that she saw Hedden stop and kind of look and say love one another Okay, Mom, and uh, invited Phoebe back over. I think that's the only time it's ever worked, but it worked that time, okay? You know, and when you see little glimmers like that, I mean, like, it's just, it's worth it. And there's a thousand other times they're like, what's the verse? They're like, I don't know, and you're like, why not? Um, and it's, it's hard. It's never, like, super easy, but God, God, God uses that. And you're constantly just in faith, sowing seeds and sowing seeds and hoping that something grows someday soon. Some other families do catechism, catechism questions, scripture memory. I encourage you to, to reach out um, to, to, to other families and ask for things to, to do. Um, one other formal part of training that I want to briefly mention, I can give you lots of good resources on, is, uh, is about corrective discipline. So as parents, uh, we know that our children do not always obey uh, and sometimes do not ever obey, it seems like. But, but God has instructed us as parents to, that we have the responsibility to teach our children that they must obey uh, through corrective discipline. Now, this isn't popular uh, among many, including in Delaware, just made it like illegal to have uh, this type of discipline uh, against your, your, your children or for your children. But it is part of God's wise and loving design. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. It's an act of love to instruct your child through, through discipline. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So little kiddos, like, they're not going to figure it out right. I mean, I had a parent tell me that one time. We're like, well, we're just going to kind of let them find their way in life. Not, I'm just, I'm just, I'm sorry. That's not loving to your child. God gave you to them to show them the way. They don't know the way. They're born messed up, just like you were. Okay, they, they, they are. I mean, they come out broken. They just do. You don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them to deceive. You don't have to teach them to be selfish. That's how we all. That's how we're born. All of us. And God uses this means to to instruct and correct. Two words on it. One is consistently. So however you decide to go about this, and again, I encourage you to speak to, to families who, um, who, are, who have been doing this for, for years. Explain to your children what's going to happen if they disobey and then follow through and be consistent so that you tell them, listen, mommy and daddy are, are going to spank you if, if you do this or if you do that or if you lie or whatever it may be. And you, you kind of lay it out for them. And then, if there's a transgression, and they do, the next word is lovingly. You lovingly instruct them through, through discipline. So what that means is, listen to me please, never discipline out of anger. Never discipline out of anger. I know no parent who has not gotten angry at their child, but you do not take out your anger on them. It's, 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 it's abusive. You don't do that. Get your cool, however you need to do that. You pray, and then you come and you sit them down, and you say, sweetheart, what did you do? And so you want them to confess. What did, what did daddy or mommy tell you was going to happen if you did that? 
Right. Does daddy or mommy like spanking you? No. Do you like getting spankings? No. I have to, we have to do this. And then you carry through the discipline. And then you pray. And you pray the gospel over them. And you ask God for mercy. And then it's over. And it's done. And just as God forgives the east is the west, you don't hang that over their head all day. It's done. All right, let's go. Let's go. Back to playing. And you, it's an opportunity to show, to show the gospel. You're shepherding their heart towards, towards home. I'm sure there'll be some discussion on this. I would encourage you to, to reach out to some of your pastors, some of the other uh, uh, elders who'd, who'd be glad to help you think through it. One other word on this. Proverbs 31.11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. So before a father disciplines his children, he needs to make sure he's delighting in his children. So fathers, make it a regular part of your life that you're wrestling with your kids and you're playing ball with them and you're pain or whatever it is that we all got different things that we like to do or don't like to do, but you need to be with your kids enjoying. They need to know that you delight in them. If the only time you show up and like give them special attention is when it's time for them to get in trouble... That's not teaching them about who God the Father is. Be very mindful of, of that posture towards our children. Informally, so that's formal. Informally, while there are some aspects of discipleship that are formal, most are informal. So discipleship is it's a way of life that we as parents are always very similar to Jesus with his disciples, looking for opportunities to instruct. So the text says, when you sit in your house, so when there's TV on, you talk about what's happening, why are they doing that, what does that look like? When there's guests in the home, listen, someone's talking at the table, let's, let's, be on, let's, be, let's honor them and respect them by not talking. Uh, you know, your family, let's shut the computers, let's talk. Um, talking at dinner, what was your day like? So when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you go fishing, isn't it amazing that God gave fishing or whatever you talk about? There's, look at the trees, look at the water. It's amazing that God made that. When you go shopping, you talk about stewardship. And like, you know, money doesn't grow in trees and God grow on trees. You know what I'm saying? Um, but God gives us a, a certain amount of money and we're using some of it to buy different things. Um, so you talk about stewardship. Um, sports, okay? Listen, if you're out there and, and you're acting a fool when you're playing, listen, no. This is revealing your character. What's more important is that you glorify God, not whether you dunk on somebody's head. Or like in our house, whenever we hear a siren go off, we take it as an opportunity to say, hey, somebody's in need. Let's pray for them. And you're just looking for little things all the time. Um, you know, when you're at a restaurant, if the waiter or waitress comes over, you stop, kiddos, let's look in their eyes when you give your order. You don't like, I want French toast. And you say, may I have French toast, please? You, you give them honor and you respect you show your kids when you're at the checkout. You, you get off the phone and talk to a human. And then, then you, you go on and get back on your phone if you need to. But you're showing your children things all the time. When you lie down, you, you pray at night and you thank God specifically. And you ask the kiddos, you're like, hey, what's something that you're thankful for today? And they're like, I can't think of anything. And you're like, well, would you like to sleep in the yard? And they're like, no. And you'd be like, well, you're thankful for a house then. Yeah. And you instruct them. And you're leading them along in ways that, that teach them how to notice things about them. When you rise in our house, you know, we sing, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So that's, that's kind of what we do in, in the mornings together. You, 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 you're always teaching and pointing them to the Lord. I'm going to take the time to say this. Just remember, parents, that you're always teaching your children something. And if, if you want to if you want to create a kid who hates God, what you do is you dress up on Sunday morning and you get your Bible and you yell at everybody while they're getting in the car and you're screaming the whole way here and as soon as you hit the parking lot, everybody puts on their mask and you walk in and you smile and you nod when you're supposed to and you stand when you're supposed to and you're quiet when you're supposed to and you keep the rules and you do all that stuff and then as soon as you go home, parents, you just throw that Bible on the shelf. You don't, they never catch you reading or praying yell at mom or you yell at dad and you're always harsh with them and you talk about other people behind their back and you're grumbling and complaining and all this kind of stuff and they see thing on the TV that I just thought we heard in church we're not supposed to, to be like that and all these kinds of things because your child does not have the ability very often to discern between whether the problem is you or the problem is God and that's why Jesus was so 
adamant against hypocrisy. So one of the regular things that parents ought to do is to be asking their children to forgive them, to confess times that they're wrong. Daddy spoke harshly right then. Daddy lost his mind. Daddy was mean, or, or mommy was this, or daddy was that. Please forgive us. Would you pray with us as we ask God for help? That kind of consistent posture is essential. It's essential. Now, these last two are, are brief. Number four, God commands parents to, to guard their family's hearts against forgetting his abundant grace. Look again at verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob to give to you with good and great cities that you did not build, that's grace, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, that's grace, and cisterns that you did not dig, that's grace, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, that's grace, and when you eat and are full, that's grace, then you shall take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God says, when you get to that land, Israel, and you don't have to fight wars anymore, and the stock market's up, and the sun is shining, and the birds are chirping, and the cattle are fat, and mama's happy, and everything's good, whenever you get there, be really, really careful, lest you forget where it all came from, lest you forget the Lord your God. Parents, one of the things we must be careful to instruct our children in is to remind them that everything that they have is from the Lord. Everything that we have in life is grace. And so even with every achievement that they have, they need to know that the only reason they have that achievement is because God gave them grace to do it. Over in Deuteronomy 8, 17, beware lest your heart say, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore with you. So yeah, you're smart and you ace that test, great, but remember who made you smart. God did. And yes, you studied hard, but remember who gave you the ability to study hard. So you, yeah, I mean, you beat everybody in the hurdles, that's great. You did an amazing job. I'm so proud of you. But remember who gives you the strength to do that. God does. So parents, teach your children... Be careful to not teach your children that they are something that they aren't. The other day I was listening to Christian radio, which is a bad idea for me because I get frustrated all the time, but um, they gave this thought of the day. So instead of scripture, they gave this thought of the day. Parents need to fill a child's bucket of self-esteem so high that the rest of the world can't poke enough holes to drain it dry. That sounds sweet and sounds like some really good, you know, loving little advice. But the reality is that building self-esteem in your children is poison to their hearts. The reason is that it it trains them to think wrongly about life. It teaches them to think firstly and ultimately about themselves. When the reality is that God is the one who should be ultimately esteemed, not us. So Jesus did not die to boost your self-esteem. He died to forgive it. Now, I'm not saying your kid's worthless. I think preacher just said my kid's a loser. I did not just say your kid's a loser. What I am saying, though, is that, yes, your child is knit together by the hand of God, and that is a good thing. We must teach them that. But we also must remember to keep everything in perspective. My sister's graduation from uh, elementary school, uh, this, this shows you a little while ago and in West Virginia, but um, this, this teacher got up, and her name was Kathy Spitzer, And she had three points to her message. I don't remember one of them, but the first one was, you are important. And you're important because God made you. He uniquely made you like he made nobody else. And point two is, you're not that important. God made a lot of other people uniquely too. (laughs) So don't think too highly of yourself. You know, and that has always stuck with me. It's really good. It's good advice. Hey, listen, your kid, they're really important. But they ain't that important. There's a lot of other billions of people around. And it's good for them to have a humble, right estimation of themselves. So one of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is to teach them to not think highly of themselves, but to think highly of God. That they are special because God made them, yes, but that needs to be held humbly. So, 
When they get little victories, celebrate with them. Take them to some Chuck E. Cheese, get them a pizza, you know, uh, buy her a new dress, get her some jewelry, or, you know, get a couple tickets to the Nats game or whatever it is. But remember to shepherd their heart toward heaven and remind them the grace that that God gave for them to do that. And then fifthly and finally, that God commands parents to teach that the heart behind, or to teach the heart behind our religious activities. God commands parents to teach the heart behind our religious activities. Look again down at verse 20. So when your son asks you in a time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed his signs and his wonders and his great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that, we might, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. So there's a lot of talk in, in certain circles in, in our day about how religion is bad and relationship is good, meaning relationship with, with God. And, and I, know what, I know what they mean, okay, because it is, it is wrong to just do religious things. But doing religious things is not a bad deal. Y'all are doing, a bunch, you're doing religious stuff right now. You're listening to a sermon, a really long sermon, okay? You're listening to that. Like that's part of what's, what's happening. You're doing religious stuff. So we've been doing this this whole time. And actually, it's really impossible to be a Christian and not do religious activities. But God doesn't want religious activities to be an end of of themselves. They are to serve as a a springboard to what really matters. And God, God knew that children are just wired to ask why. Daddy, why? Why are we... Why are we out here? Why is there a tabernacle? Why are, we, why are these goats over here? Why do we shed their blood? Why is this? Why do we rest on the Sabbath? Why do we do all these kinds of things? Why, why, why? And it's the same thing for, for us. So when our children ask, so mommy and daddy, why don't we do you know, Christmas or Easter like everybody else? What's up with the bunny? And then we explain to them things. Why do we go to church every Sunday? What's, what's up with that? Why, why do people get baptized? Mommy and Daddy, when, when can I eat some of that bread and that, that, that cup? What is that all about? And all of those provide springboards to talk about the gospel. And that's exactly what he, God tells his people there in, in the end of chapter 6. The, the gospel's right there. Verse 21, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. We were in bondage, just like we are in our sin. In verse 2020, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We were delivered, and that's what God did for us in Christ. Verse 22, and the Lord showed signs and wonders and all these miracles. There's a miracle that happens when when God makes us be born again. He gives us a new heart. And then verse 23, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. That's the land of heaven, the hope where we're going. Like that's, that's the gospel. And parents, as we approach this very weighty responsibility that we have, teaching our children about who God is and what he requires. We need that gospel as well. There's not one parent in here who thinks, man, I'm just knocking out of the park. Like, I got this thing. Parents, parents are very aware all the time that we, we need help. So the good news of the gospel that we're pointing our children to, it's the same help for us. So may God give grace as we seek to do this. And, and also, I want to encourage you to not parents evaluate yourself incident by incident but rather to take the long view and to remember that the direction is much more important than perfection we're always pointing them home little by little and the last thing is this some of you had some really bad families you had really really hard relationships with mother or father or both or neither were there or whatever it may have been the Lord the Lord knows one of my favorite things in the book of Kings is that in the midst of all these bad kings every once in a while you'll find one where it says and they did not walk in the way of their fathers but they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and you've got to know that by the grace of God there can be a new day in your family God can do that 
that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And he can change your family. He can do that. So may we be a church and families who are always pointing the the children that God entrusts to us to the God who made them. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for this text and this series and the things that you've instructed uh, us about our life and about, uh, about love and marriage and conflict and sexuality and children. And Lord, we just pray that you would use all of this for your glory and for our good. And Father, we thank you and we pray that you would visit each of us with the mercy that we need to do what you have called us to do. In the name of Christ.